everybody. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for hanging in there, waiting for another episode. Welcome back to the Witchy Historian. I am Crystalina May, your resident witchy historian. So, despite my best efforts, your girl got hit with COVID. So today is day 10 since I started showing symptoms and I am feeling much, much better. Just some, you know, lingering fatigue and a little bit of chest heaviness, but otherwise I am good. Um, I normally record on Tuesdays, but I was so sick that I hadn't even written this yet. So thank you all for your patience and support. I am still here and I am ready to get back to the witchy history. Um, I do not have a new Patreon to shout out this week, but I wanted to take a moment here to highlight someone who is, I mean, just kicking ass and taking names and fully stepping into her power. We've been friends for about two years now, and we have both been busting our tails to get to where we are today. So this incredible woman at the age of 38, after birthing four beautiful children, has achieved the incredible feat of becoming a professional model. She's been doing casting calls and has even landed a spot in a runway show in Minneapolis. And without further ado, it is my great pleasure to announce the public launch of Afrothena. So go over to Instagram, go follow her at the underscore Afrothena. That is spelled T-H-E-E underscore A. P-H-R-O-T-H-E-N-A. Go show her some love and some support and just like go just dump all of the good things on this up and coming, amazingly talented woman. I am so effing proud of her. I cannot believe that she has achieved this. And it was kind of this weird (laughs) fluke that came up out of the blue and she has just nailed it and I am so so very very proud of her. So since my witchy calendar of the day does not have Saturdays the Saturdays are just filled with notes or note lines I'm gonna read what I would have read if I had done this episode on Thursday for March 2nd. So this is the quote of the day and it says Dabbling in astrology is like carrying a lucky rabbit's foot as an omen of good luck, which costs us very little and might have some beneficial effects. And that is by Siegfried Fred Singer, and he is an atmospheric physicist and professor. So I thought that was a really, really cool one. So... Let's get into the Waldensian heresies. So it was really hard for me to find specific details about any of the specific massacres or actions taken against the Waldensians, but I'll explain 
why that is. <laughs> so there are different groups that can be linked to the Waldensians that appeared as early as the like three tens. Um, so like the fourth century, but the core group that became known as the Waldensians that created the name, they originated in the area of Lyons, France in the 12th century, the 1100s. So the primary figure of this group is Peter Waldo or Valdez, who preached around the French province of Lyons in the 1170s. He actually attended the third Laterne Council in 1179, where his vow of poverty that he made was confirmed by Pope Alexander III. We remember that guy. And he also likely made his profession of faith here, um, which was often done by people who had been accused of heresy. They would make a profession of faith. They would be recognized and then they would be allowed to preach in the church or in public. But the church denied him recognition. So in 1184, Pope uh, Lucius III actually banned the Waldensians from the city. Um, And there is not a lot of information out there about how that went down. But it was part of a papal bull, and he just banned the Waldensian heretics. And in there, he called them a long-standing, like, bane against the church. And so the church had been kind of trying to squash this group for a few centuries by this point, and things had really come to a head. Now, keep in mind the 1180s. This is the same time this bull that what that Pope Lucius put out. This is the same one that was used to um, target the Albigensians and issue the Crusades against them. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. So. Let's break down what the Waldensians believed in. So in the New Testament, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions and give all your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So while this was actually spoken directly to a very wealthy man who was basically trying to buy his way into heaven, and, you know, that's kind of not how that works, Peter Waldo took this passage very, very literally, and he sold all of his belongings, donated all of his money, and entered a life of deliberate poverty. So... When he started going about kind of preaching this kind of rhetoric about this passage, 
he quickly gathered a kind of a small following of mostly clerics and they were known as, or they became known as the poor men of lions. However, their chosen name was the poor of spirit, which is a quote from the Beatitudes in Matthew. And they very, very strictly believed that they were following what was in the Sermon on the Mount. So another thing that the Waldensians believed was that all people should be able to hear and understand the word of God from the Bible. So by making the Bible available in the local French dialect, Waldo and his translators were some of the very first people to make parts of the Bible available in the vernacular or common language. So this is years before the printing press. This is years before Martin Luther. So keep this in mind. Martin Luther didn't come along until the late 1400s, early 1500s. So when his initial translations were he brought them to the Pope and they were very well received. So Waldo and his followers took this as license to go out and start publicly teaching this new common language version of the Bible throughout Lyons and surrounding towns and villages. However, the church not only considered this offensive because they taught that only Catholic ordained clergymen were allowed to preach because only through the priest lineage of St. Peter was God's divine appointment to preach passed on. So they believed that St. Peter was appointed by Jesus to found the church and that St. Peter had somehow appointed and ordained the first pope. And that was the lineage of the priests and popes and all of the clergy. So they believed that anyone who didn't follow this line, this was not only offensive, you were like sacrilegious. You were not supposed to do this. This is flying in the face of Christ and his church. And it's a direct defiance against what Jesus established as the church when he was here on earth. They also believed they held absolute faith in Jesus's teachings only, namely the Sermon on the Mount, and they aimed to relive the lives of the first disciples, the first 12 disciples, namely in living in poverty and in absolute adherence to proselytizing their interpretation of the gospel. So they were really kicked up on this idea of evangelism. And evangelizing had been something that was already taking place. You had ordained pastor or priests and monks that were traveling around sharing the gospel of Christ. This was part of the drive of the crusades was evangelizing, right? However, this was done outside of the sanctity of that church ordained group. So this became a problem. So the Catholics are sitting back watching this happen and they're starting to take notes and ask questions. And they're starting to see the Waldensians as a threat. 
Other things that the Waldensians did, they refused to take oaths. They would not take oaths of fealty to the church. So they wouldn't take vows of, um, they would take vows of poverty and stuff like that, but they would not vow to be chaste, you know, to be um, chaste. They would not take vows of chastity. They would not take vows to a specific convent or to a specific church or parish. They also rejected the church practice of indulgences. So indulgences are this very interesting practice that is done in the Catholic church or was done in the Catholic church where a person who was a member of the church would take money and bring it to the priest and tell them or the deacon or whoever was at their local parish and they would buy either their place in heaven with that money or they would use it to buy their deceased family members way out of purgatory. And this becomes a big issue during the active reformation and is a big part of the reason why Luther broke with the church. Actually, he didn't actively break with the church. He was kicked out of the church, but that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> we'll talk about that more when we get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is a core issue where a lot of people start seeing this as a way of, for the church to just grab economic and social power instead of just kind of staying in their lane and being the intercessor between Christ and God and humanity. Another thing that the Waldensians uh, took part in, they refused to charge interest on loaned money. And this was actually a law at the time that if you were going to loan money, you had to charge interest on it. They saw this as a sin. And again, this is based on things that are in the Gospels that Jesus taught. So they refused to do this. So these government banks and institutions and um, financial institutions, and of course, it didn't work the way that it does today. They weren't huge centralized banks. But these wealthier elites started to see the Waldensians as a political and financial threat because of this. They also allowed women and children to join in the preaching. Um, I couldn't find any details about whether they had rules about if women and children could preach to men. But from what I found, it just kind of seemed like they were all allowed to just kind of go out together and just preach publicly. They rejected the idea of purgatory. Again, this was a core belief that most Christians believed at the time. This was not strictly a Catholic thing because everybody was Catholic. There was not like the Catholics. It was it was Christians, Jews, and Muslims. That's what we were dealing with. And then, of course, the pagans who didn't adhere, adhere to any of the other religions in this particular context in Europe at the time. So, and when I say pagans, that encompasses many, 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 many hundreds, if not thousands of groups that practiced in different ways, traditional, cultural things. So all of that aside, 
Another thing that the Waldensians rejected was transubstantiation. So this is a belief that the Catholic Church held that when they went through the ritual of preparing communion or the Eucharist, that that bread, that, that specific Eucharist wafer would become Christ's actual body or inhabit the spirit of Christ. Usually the Christ, Christ's body. Catholics are usually pretty clear on the fact that they believe that that is Christ's body and that the wine or juice becomes his blood, right? So this is a very, very core part, again, of the Reformation and what causes this split in the church. So these questions are already being raised in the 1100s, if not prior to this. They rejected saint worship. The saints are a huge part of Catholic Christianity. They understand that uh, a lot of the saints are part of local cultural tradition. And so they were folded into things. Also, there's a lot of Christian early Catholic church happenings and events that were considered uh, really, really dangerous events for early Christians to be going through. So people who survived them or who were martyred during them were hailed as saints, right? They were, they were placed into sainthood. There's a word for it and I can't remember what it is, but anyways. <laughs> so when this happens, there is uh, an, an effect of saint worship that happens in Catholicism and in early Christianity early Christianity, but the Waldensians are rejecting this. They're like, no, we're, we're not doing this. We only deal with Christ and God. That's it. We believe that these other people existed. We believe they're important for the church and the foundations, but they viewed them very much like Americans view the founding fathers today, not like actual saints who should be revered, if that makes sense. Another thing, they rejected prayer for the dead. So something that was very common, kind of like the indulgences where you could pay your loved ones way out of purgatory after they had died. A lot of people would pray or do penance for their dead relatives or their dead loved ones in order to help lift them out of purgatory faster. And Waldensians rejected this. They're like, nope, we're not praying for the dead. They're dead. They're either with God or they're not. And that's a fact. In, I don't remember the specific date, but when Constantine, Emperor Constantine, proclaimed Christianity as the state religion, the Waldensians looked back at that. And they saw that as a sign of the church's fall into worldliness. So they are tracing this over a few hundred years. And they're saying, this is a problem. The church is getting too much power. The church is not supposed to be powerful. The church is only supposed to be an intercessor between us and God. That's it. That's their only job. They're supposed to teach us the Bible. They're not teaching us the Bible. They're getting money. They are 
controlling politics. They're controlling finances. They're controlling social things. And the Waldensians saw this as a problem. Some of the things that they did do, they did see themselves as belonging to the Catholic Church. So despite all of these disagreements and all of these things that they're like, hey, the Catholic Church is messed up. They're doing this wrong. This is not Christ-like or godly. They still saw themselves as being part of that church. They took communion at least annually, which was standard practice for all Christians within the church and without at the time. And many of them still practice the um, baptism of children. So there are some sects later on, especially during the Reformation, that broke off and stopped doing infant baptism. But early on in this period, they were still continuing to do this. So... How does the church respond? The church is watching all this go. They're like, hey, they're undermining our authority. They're being insubordinate. They're causing all these problems. So what do we do? 1184, the Waldensians are excommunicated at the Synod of Verona by Lucius III. I already talked about that. 1215, this is two years before Peter Waldo dies. Pope Innocent III denounces the Waldensians as heretics. This is the first time they are called heretics. And this is at the Fourth Lateran Council, which uh, we did mention this one in the Albigensian heresies episode. Four years prior to this, in 1211, 80 Waldensians had been burned at Strasbourg underneath the... It was during some of the wall... uh, during the Albigensian massacres that were occurring, 80 of these Waldensians had been burned at Strasbourg under this kind of crusade. So Innocent's denouncement of the Waldensians as heretics, it sanctioned this cruel act. Instead of holding the perpetrators accountable, he basically was like, yeah, this is fine. And the Waldensians after this faced wave after wave after wave of persecution that lasted literally for several centuries, just unending. So if you think back to the Albigensian episode, if you recall the violence that was leveled against the Albigensians during the Fifth and Sixth Crusades, It is no wonder that that movement was quashed, right? Although a few did escape and later joined the Waldensians in Lombardy around 1207. So some of them were still preserved as Waldensians from then on. In 1217, Peter Waldo dies, but... This really small, close-knit community of his followers survives in the mountains. They flee to the French-Italian Alps. And they're facing occasional persecution. They're often getting caught in the crosshairs aimed at other accused heretics. Several martyrs were made from the mid-1200s through the rest of the medieval period, which ends somewhere about 1500, between 1450 and 1500. It's a really loose definition, and one of these days I'll explain to y'all how 
we actually periodize and why. Um, but generally speaking, historians just kind of don't put hard dates on them. So while no specific crusades were launched against the Waldensians, they did face multiple inquisitions, targeted attacks, and tragedies as they tried to flee the church's economic, social, and political power and reach. In one instance, they an inquisitor came knocking at the door of the city that they were of the town they were living in and they tried to flee and hundreds of them froze to death in the snow. By the 1530s, the Waldensians had joined with the French reformers movement. So of course this is far in the future. This is 1530, this is 200 years later. Actually 300 300 years later, 300 years later. So the Waldensians, they hear about the reformers movement. They join with the French reformers and they become part of that movement and they make, uh, they build their first official church in 1555 in, I'm going to butcher this, Engrogna, I think. <laughs> so it's A-N-G-R-O-G-N-A. I know I totally butchered it and I'm still a little stuffy, so I'm sure it came out really silly. Anyways, so the Waldensian sects of Christians still thrive across Europe, although most of them are concentrated in the three Piedmont valleys of Valchazon, Val Germanosca, and Val Police. So those are all in the French Italian valleys of the Alps. So, despite all of this, all of this persecution and these inquisitions and these targeted attacks, the Waldensians, they're able to flee to the French-Italian Alps. Some still live there today, like I said. So, while the Reformation is often attributed to Martin Luther and his 95 Theses, the reality is that the Reformation was already happening before he was even born. So there's this kind of idea that the Reformation was this really sudden moment of a series of events that made huge religious shifts and rifts occur in a very short amount of time. But the primary sources written by people living at the time and witnessing these events this actually shows us clearly that Christian practice had never been standardized or homogenous. That disagreement about biblical interpretation and access and full-out dissent regarding the practices of the clergy and the church's doctrine were already being discussed, questioned, reinterpreted, and like just wholly disagreed with in local parishes, town halls, alley pubs, and around kitchen tables. People were already having the conversations that led to the Reformation movements in the 12th century. A full 300 years before Luther began demanding scholarly debates. So when Luther hung up that 95 Theses on, on the door, that was actually a standard procedure for requesting a scholarly public debate 
about a topic. This was something that was happening all of the time. This was not out of the ordinary. Luther was just a typical normal guy. And I'll talk about Luther a little bit when we get to that time period and explain kind of the cult of personality that was built up around him. But before he even came around, these conversations were already happening. There were already these questions that he raised in the 95 Theses. These were already questions being asked of the church, demands being made, and uh, requests being put forward. So as we move forward, this is something that we should all keep in mind um, to kind of remember and bear in mind to the lead up to the 15th and 16th century reformations to keep these in perspective. So instead of looking at the reformations as this, oh my gosh, one day there was just Catholics and then suddenly there were Lutherans too. No, these things had been happening for centuries. All of a sudden, they just found somebody to put a name on it. So, I think that is um, the, probably the most key thing that I want you all to take away from this today is that even though we didn't get to get into a ton of the details about the, the gory, you know, stuff, this shows how long these types of questions have been asked of the church, how long Christianity had been in dissent with itself. And um, something else I want you all to keep in mind is that up until the Reformation of the early sixteen, uh, the early sixteenth century or fifteen hundreds, up until then there was no Catholic. Everyone was just Christian. So there wasn't like a, a there 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 was dissent, but everyone was just Christian. There wasn't a lot of questioning whether or not you were a Christian until we get to that point. Um, and we will talk more about that when we get there. So thank you all so much for listening today. And as always, if you would like to get in touch with me with questions or a topic you would like me to cover please send me an email at thewitchyhistorian at gmail.com. You can also find and follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thewitchyhistorian, on Instagram at witchyhistorian, and on TikTok at thewitchyhistorian. If you would like to support the show and get a shout out on a future episode, go on over to patreon.com slash thewitchyhistorian. There are three different levels of support that you can choose from. So there is something for every budget. And I am also super excited to announce that I am pairing up with Becca over at the Didelphus Goddess for our upcoming Patreon commissions. Yes, they are finally going out this month. <laughs> so please keep an eye out for more information on the social media accounts and for commission announcements. So thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you all on March 16th for our third witchy episode when we go back to basics and talk about cleansing. Have a fantastic weekend. 
a fantastic next week. And I will see you all or talk to y'all on March 16th. Bye.